Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of the Sabbath law, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I explained that people try to obey the law for a reason. And, of course, people have different reasons, but people normally have a reason as to why they want to live in obedience to the law of Moses. Now, of course, we can't do it, and so people will try to do it. They will try to do the best they can, and they will encourage others to do the best that they can. And what I was explaining previously was that when a person believes this, when they live by this, when they teach this, that we are to try knowing that we will fail, by default, you justify the failure. You justify the sin, saying that you did the best you could or close enough to it, Or you can refer to the forgiveness of God and say that God forgives me for where I fell short. That is a way of justifying falling short. And so in that way, you are teaching people how to disobey the law, how to violate the law. You make it acceptable to violate the law of God. And I emphasized this because I want you to understand that we are sinners that we have a need for forgiveness, we have a need for mercy. That the law was given for several purposes, and one of the purposes that the law was given for was to show you that you have a need for the mercy of God, that you are hopeless without the mercy of God, that you cannot live by the old covenant, so that you will see that you have a need to live in a different way because you can't live in that way. You need another way to live. So he has provided the new covenant, which is a completely different way of life that we can live. The new covenant is the description of the life that we now get to live in light of what he has done for us, not on the basis of what we do for him, but in light of what he has done for us. And I also mentioned that People normally pursue the law because they believe that the incentives of the law will encourage them to succeed. If we have enough incentive, then maybe we'll be obedient. And so I explained that the incentives that God gave are clear. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 28, for example, that you will have more flour in your kneading bowl. You will lend and not borrow. It is a description of the blessings for the flesh. But what I would like to emphasize right now is the fact that he said nothing about knowing who he is. He said nothing about you will have a relationship with him because you are obedient. He never said that. This is an assumption that people make when they say that we are to live in obedience to the Sabbath law, among others, that that is supposed to be our way of life, to be led by the law. 
the Lord said nothing about knowing him or having a relationship with him. We are the ones who say that we will know our God if we obey his commandments. We are the ones who make the claim that we will have a relationship with him if we obey his commandments. He never made that claim. And so I just wanted to mention that again in order to emphasize this, because it is something that people do not want to believe. People really do want to live in this fantasy that they have created concerning what they will be able to obtain from God when they find a way to succeed. But now, how do you know if you are successful? How are you truly going to know? How are you going to have confidence? How are you ever going to be at peace? How are you going to be at rest knowing fully that you are obedient to God? And let's just pick the Sabbath law as an example. How will you know? You know, this was a very important question that the Pharisees asked of themselves. And the way that they answered this question was by establishing criteria. That's what they did. They established criteria so that they would have confidence in themselves, before God, that they succeeded in living in accordance with the law to include the Sabbath law. They had about 1,500 laws that they followed in order to ensure that they would obey the Sabbath law. And I remember these. I used to live by most of them myself in order to ensure that I met the appropriate criteria so that I could say that I was obedient and, of course, you are not. But that's not what our God gave the law for. He did not give the law so that we could sit down and establish all of the criteria in order to ensure that we would be obedient to the law, because even if we met all of the criteria, what would we gain? What will you accomplish? What will you obtain? Again, the same thing, blessings in the flesh, but no relationship with your God. Is that truly the goal? that you have in mind, it is not the goal that God had in mind. The goal that he had in mind was that we would eventually come to the end of ourselves and realize our condition so that we could receive his provision of forgiveness and mercy. But instead, no, people really want to hold on to this idea that the goal is different, that the goal has nothing to do with what our God has clearly said about the law. Instead, we want to establish our own goals, our own expectations of God, and then we will wait with this sense of pride and expectation that he's going to deliver soon because, you know, I think he's a little late in his delivery. And so at that point, a person no longer needs to turn to him at all because he's busy, he's delayed. These are the kinds of attitudes that eventually get developed if a person is sincere enough. If a person is devoted enough, and I find that there are many people who claim that we are to live according to the Sabbath law, among others, and yet they don't take it seriously. They will speak about it as if they do, and they speak about it as if we don't or I don't, and yet they are the ones who are not. If you really want to believe this stuff, then believe it, embrace it. Don't play around with it. You do it. You identify the criteria. Start with the criteria that the Pharisees established. That's a good start. You know, the Lord Jesus said himself in the Sermon on the Mount that your righteousness must exceed 
that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And so start with those and then exceed from there. Now, this was a very serious issue in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. A very serious issue. What is the criteria that we are to live by in order to say or claim that we live in obedience to the Sabbath law? This was a serious matter between Jesus and the religious authorities in Israel. Why? Because he did not follow their criteria. He had a criteria that he lived by. I can see that. But it wasn't the same as the criteria that they lived by. According to the criteria that they had established, Jesus did not obey the Sabbath law. According to the criteria that they had established, Jesus said that they did not obey the Sabbath law. And so what do we do? Do we try to identify what his criteria is and then live that way? No, because again, the most that you could hope for would be that which you could never achieve according to the law. And so you will continue to live by the curse of God according to the law. That's not what this is about. I'm explaining this in order to help you understand that the criteria is not the goal, but that the criteria was used by Jesus in order to show the people that they were not as impressive as they thought they were. This was a serious conflict throughout his ministry. Jesus performed many healings on the Sabbath day, for example. Many healings. When he performed these healings on the Sabbath day, the Pharisees claimed that he violated the Sabbath law because no one's life was in danger. That was the criteria that they had established, that if a person can survive until the first day of the week, if they can make it that long and still be alive, then you are not to heal them. You are to wait until the first day of the week and then the person can be healed or then the person who is doing the healing can help the individual. This is something that was very important to the Pharisees in order to establish their criteria, follow their criteria, and so that they could claim that they were obedient to God. But Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. He healed many people. You can go throughout the scriptures and see the testimony that we have and see all of the different people who Jesus healed. The man who had a withered hand, the man at the pool of Bethesda, the woman who had an issue of blood. Jesus performed many healings, but he did so regardless of whether they thought or didn't think that he was obeying the Sabbath law. That was not his concern. Instead, he used that as leverage in order to provide for an opportunity to speak to them about their true condition. Now, the important thing that I want you to understand concerning this is, again, not to try to identify the criteria, but to understand something else. And that is that our God is interested in life. He is interested in providing people with an opportunity to be at peace and to be at rest. He wants to create life. He wants us to be participants in the work of creation that he is doing. He wants us to participate in the enjoyment of living our lives. That is what he is doing. And when he was here as the Lord Jesus, he emphasized this through the healings that he performed. For example, consider what it would feel like if you were 
seriously ill, if you were paralyzed in some way, or you had a sickness of some kind within your being, or if you had a hand that you could not use, or if you had a condition that would put you in a circumstance of being perpetually unclean according to the law, do you think that you will be able to feel as though you are at rest? Consider, for example, what it's like to have a severe headache. Do you think that you can really enjoy a day off, a day of rest, when you have a severe headache? Or how about if you're extremely hungry? Are you, are you going to really feel at peace and enjoy your time of rest while you're starving? Is that, is that really what you think rest is about? When Jesus healed these people, he provided them with an opportunity to rest, to enjoy the Sabbath. Did anybody give any consideration to that? No. As far as I can tell, no one gave any consideration for the people who were not able to rest in the way that they could if they were healed. And so when Jesus healed them, these people were able to rest in a way that they could not have rested before. This is one way of looking at the circumstance, at the scenario, in order to show that a person is more interested in sacrifice, in suffering, in destruction, in pain, than they are interested in a person's peace and rest, either in their flesh or in their heart or in their spirit with a relationship with God. These are the priorities that eventually begin to surface when a person goes down this path, this path of trying to live a life that you can't. Eventually, you will have to make a choice concerning life and death, creation or destruction, and people will feel holy, people will feel righteous, justified in their sacrifice and destruction above and beyond their gift, their giving, or their creation of life. Now, I'm not saying that in order to establish criteria that we can now follow and say, well, we are to obey the law, perhaps, unless we find ourselves in this circumstance. If we're in this circumstance, then this is an exception to the rule. Then we start creating more criteria. And what is the goal of the criteria? What will eventually be achieved if we find the right criteria and we succeed? Will we know our God? Will we have a relationship with him? No. This is why he has structured things in such a way that we will not succeed so that we will eventually come to the end of this. But before we do, Jesus used this throughout his ministry in order to explain important realities that people did not know. Now, I'm going to begin with an example. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, of course, Jesus is breaking the Sabbath according to their beliefs as well. But why are they doing this? They are doing this because they are hungry. They are walking through the grain fields, plucking heads of grain because they are hungry and they want to eat. Now, does this justify 
breaking the Sabbath law, am I saying that because a person is hungry, we now have an excuse to break the Sabbath law? Absolutely not. I'm not saying this to say that there is justification. I'm saying this in order to bring out the fact that the Pharisees would rather the people starve. They would rather that the people go hungry than to do something that they believe is a violation of the Sabbath law. Now, if we were to ask Jesus, Jesus, are you breaking the law? I personally don't think that he will say that he is breaking the law. I have confidence concerning that, and so I'm not worried about trying to evaluate this on the basis of a commission of sin. That's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is what he does have to say with regards to what he has done. What does he want them to know and understand? Why is he doing this? Now, is he really breaking the Sabbath law? Again, according to the criteria of the Pharisees, he is, because he's walking through the grain field on the Sabbath day. Now, he could have gone around the perimeter of the grain field because according to the law, the farmers were required to leave grain around the perimeter of their field so that if someone was traveling or if they were poor and they were hungry, they wanted to eat, then they could go and they could obtain grain in that way. That was according to the law. But instead, Jesus and his disciples go right through the grain fields. Now, why is this significant? This is really significant if you understand what the Pharisees would have to say about the Sabbath. According to the Pharisees, they taught that under no circumstance were you to ever walk on the grass on the Sabbath day. And you might wonder, well, what's wrong with walking on the grass on the Sabbath day? And of course, if you were to ask them, what's wrong with walking on the grass on the Sabbath day? They would say, absolutely nothing. There is nothing wrong with walking on the grass on the Sabbath day. But of course, there is great risk in walking on the grass on the Sabbath day. And this is why we say you are not to do that, because the risk is that there might be a stalk of wheat there among the grass. And if you were to walk on the grass, you might hit that stalk of wheat with your foot. And if you do, then some grain might be knocked off of that stalk of wheat. And if you did, then you would be guilty of harvesting grain on the Sabbath day. And as that grain of wheat fell to the ground and your foot landed on top of it, if you twisted it just so, you might break away some of the chaff from that grain, in which case you would be guilty of threshing grain on the Sabbath day. And as you lifted your foot, the hem of your garment might create a breeze and blow some of that chaff away from the grain that you just threshed, in which case you would be guilty of winnowing grain on the Sabbath day. And then if a bird saw that the grain was exposed, went down and picked up the grain with its beak and ate the grain, then you would be guilty of storing the grain on the Sabbath day. That's what they said. That's according to the law of the Pharisees. And so there is nothing wrong with walking on the grass on the Sabbath day, but there's great risk that you might violate the Sabbath law if you do that. So what does Jesus do? Does he walk on the grass on the Sabbath day? Not only did he do that, but he walked right through the grain field on the Sabbath day, perhaps just in order to get their attention concerning this issue. So they spoke to him, and they said to him that they believed that his disciples were violating the Sabbath law. In verse 3, this is Matthew chapter 12, verse 3, but he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? 
he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He uses two examples. He speaks about David breaking the law, violating the commandment of God. And what is the penalty according to the law for eating the showbread? What is the penalty? There is no penalty. The Lord never established one. Now, that, of course, does not justify what he did because we have other penalties. Violating the Sabbath law has the penalty of death. Murdering someone has the penalty of death. Stealing from someone has the penalty of restoring what was taken plus a little extra. There are penalties. But again, regardless of whether a person obeys or disobeys, God has clearly said exactly what the price or the benefit will be for failure or success. And of course, success will never be achieved. And so everyone lives under the condemnation of God. But David took the bread, he broke the commandment of God, certainly he would be under the curse of God according to the law, but he's under the curse of God anyway. And so what changed? Does this justify anything? No, I am saying this in order to express to you the reverse, that what you hope to obtain you never will, and what you don't want you always will get, and so there must be something else. What is the something else? that God doesn't want us to go hungry. That's the something else. That he doesn't want us to live in pain and in suffering. That's the something else. So David took the bread so that people could eat, so they wouldn't go hungry. The second example, the priests, on the other hand, will go into the temple and they will violate the law on the Sabbath because of the work that they do in the temple. Doing what? Sacrifice. Which does God desire more? Does he want people to do sacrifice and not rest? Or does he want people to rest and not sacrifice? If you believe that it's better for a person to sacrifice and go hungry, then how can you say it's better to sacrifice than to rest on the Sabbath day? Again, if you believe that it is better for someone to sacrifice and go hungry then how can you say that it's better to violate the Sabbath law so that you can sacrifice? You can't have it both ways. You can't say that you cannot violate the law in the temple in order to feed someone who is hungry, but then also violate the Sabbath law in the temple in order to perform a sacrifice. This is a contradiction. And because of the contradiction, you are eventually going to have to choose one thing or another. Why? In order to establish criteria to live by? No. In order to see that God has put you in a situation where you cannot choose. You cannot choose without making people go hungry, making people suffer. You cannot choose without choosing destruction. And because of that, even if you choose 
the law and obedience to it, you will still have to live with the guilt and the shame of violating humanity and violating the creation of life that God has done. So the Lord says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, introducing the important idea of recognizing that God gave the Sabbath for us. And if it is not in our favor because we might be hungry or because we might be in pain or because we cannot rest, then it's no longer fulfilling the purpose for which he explained that he gave it in the context of being able to rest, being able to be at peace. At that point, you have to concede that it is for you. It is not for God, not in this context. So you can choose, you can make a choice to live rather than suffer. You can make a choice to live on the basis of his mercy rather than living on the basis of sacrifice. This is a paradigm shift that they were not prepared for. So he had to do it again and again and again in order to emphasize the point that what they thought was bringing life was actually bringing destruction so that they can see that they have a need for a different covenant in order to live. You cannot make these decisions on the basis of the penalty. The penalty for the priest's profaning the Sabbath in the temple on the Sabbath day was death, but the penalty for David taking the showbread was not. And so to speak of the Sabbath law in the context of the penalty to suggest something like because murder results in death and the violation of the Sabbath law results in death, we should consider it to be on the same quality as murder. This is not understanding the purpose for the law. It creates an argument that is contradictory to what Jesus presents in the context of the priests being allowed to violate the Sabbath law in the temple. So don't use the penalties as your guide. Understand that there is a reality that has to do with life, not just the creation, but also living in eternity. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,